Good morning. My name is Michael Mattis, and I pastor Saltbox Church here in coastal Wilmington, North Carolina. We're actually meeting in person at the Hannah Block Center, but we also uh, stream our services right here on Facebook's live premiere each week at 10 a.m. Uh, we've actually just come off a series on the, the Beatitudes and then the salt and light that Christ preached about on the Sermon on the Mount. And now we're transitioning into a series on the book of Malachi. Uh, what's interesting is you may never have even read the book of Malachi. It's a minor prophet in the Old Testament, and it's only four chapters long. But I love it because it does some really neat things in terms of tying together the Old Testament and then sort of prepping and launching us into the New Testament. So we're going to take uh, Malachi 1. I'm not going to read every part of it, but I'd encourage you to do it sort of in your own time. And over the next four weeks, we're going to go through chapter by chapter all of the book of Malachi. So uh, let's start out here in Malachi 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to jump down and read verses 6 through 8, and then I'm going to jump down and read verses uh, 10 and 11. So if you don't know where Malachi is, go to Matthew, first book of the New Testament, and then just go left a couple of pages and you will find Malachi. So here we go, uh, Malachi 1, um, verse 1, and I'm, I'm actually, as we read, I will probably um, pause and, and point out a couple things because it's going to tie into sort of what we're going to talk about and I think what we'll see uh, unfold here for us. So Malachi 1, verse 1, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. I'm going to skip down to verse 6. A son honors his father, and a slave honors their master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, now remember this is God speaking, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. If you priests who show contempt for my name, uh, now let me also say here, uh, despise is the word coming out of um, many translations. I probably like that a little bit better. But it is you priests who show contempt or it is you priests who despise my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt or how have we despised your name? By offering defiling food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering those to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? <clears throat> now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands, and he, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. And then verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled. 
Lord, I pray that as we open your word today, as we look at the very end of the Old Testament, that you would enliven our hearts and enliven our minds. Uh, Would you change us? Would you fall fresh on us? Would you allow us to find ourselves this morning in your scripture? And then would you allow us to walk away from this place um, changed, different? In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, let's do a couple of background uh, things here on the book of Malachi. And so, so coming out of the book of Malachi, there's a couple of pages in your Bible between that and Matthew, where we immediately pick up with the birth of Christ, right? The genealogy of Jesus. And those couple of pages literally represent about 400 years. And those 400 years are known um, as sort of the silent years. So God spoke to Malachi in Malachi 1, 2, 3, and 4. And, and yet there's some season of time that passes before the angel Gabriel appears to the Virgin Mary and says, God said. And there's actually a portion of Jewish um, literature that, that came out of these silent years. And w- what's interesting is um, there is literally no place in that Jewish literature that uses the word um, God said. So, so this, this, this Jewish literature absolutely lacks um, anything that's, that's been fully inspired by God. So when the canon of Scripture, which the canon of Scripture just means the whole of the Bible, was assembled, um, that part is not considered authoritative because nowhere in it does it say, and God said. So consider how Malachi begins. Literally, a prophecy, colon, uh, the word of the Lord to Israel. That's what's missing in the Apocrypha. So it, it is not, and, and that, that was written in that 400-year span of kind of silence. So a question that I think that needs to be asked is, uh, world history-wise, what's happening during that chunk of time? Um, this is when the Greco-Macedonian army, army under Alexander the Great was conquering the Near East and, and even ventured as far as India. Um, the Roman period was also during this 400 years. So when the Gospels pick up, like as Malachi ends, there, there is no Rome. And then as the Gospels pick up, you have a Roman-occupied Palestine. You literally have um, Roman armies and, and centurions in uh, Israel, in Jerusalem. So uh, this is, um, there was much happening during this time, um, just not much written in the Bible. So one of the things that I think is absolutely brilliant about the book of Malachi is it, is it sort of um, looks back at the Old Testament, and it actually um, summarizes and it applies the entirety of the teaching of the Old Testament. It, it, it truly, in a very short period of time, looks at from the Mosaic Law all, all the way through the, the Torah um, and then the prophets and then the minor prophets. It, it sums up the entire thing. It applies the scope of its teaching, and then somehow uh, it actually shifts and looks forward um, to the coming of Jesus and the coming of John the Baptist. It's absolutely brilliant. And what's kind of interesting about this is we're actually going to end in Malachi 4, talking a little bit about John the Baptist. And then right after that, we're going to go into our Christmas series, uh, which is the unlikely characters of Christmas. And we're going to start with John the Baptist. So this is just a, it's kind of a a beautiful unfolding of um, the story of Christ and the the, the lineage um, of the Jewish people, which is the 
lineage of the church. It's the legacy from, from where we've come. So <clears throat> a couple of reoccurring themes in the book, and, and this could actually be some of the most powerful things I'm even going to say today. But if you, if you look at Malachi as a whole, what are the reoccurring um, themes? What are the things that I think God would want you to take from it and even assimilate um, into our own lives? And I, I, there's probably two that, that jump out. But the first reoccurring theme is um, the way every word of God is contradicted and questioned by the people. So you see it again and again. So, so right there in, in verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And then what do the people say? But you ask, how have you loved us? And you get this idea that it's kind of this, uh, it could be defiant. Um, it could be sort of broken down, almost depressed, like, oh, God doesn't love me. Um, but, but either way, God says, I have loved you. And immediately the people's response is, how have you loved us? It's a, it's a contradiction. It's almost a fight. So literally the deep structure of this book liter- in, in terms of literature is uh, this, this reoccurring theme of God speaks and then the people sort of resist and they argue. And, and we see God's persistence in speaking. In other words, just because the people don't hear, just because the people don't respond, just because the people don't change, God doesn't stop speaking. And you actually see this love that he's talking about right from the beginning because he persists in speaking, um, in loving, in pursuing, um, in, in tenderly correcting, in going after. He, he is just this good, good father. And that begins to take shape here in this book. So uh, it's this gap that begins to develop between what God thinks and what God says and what the people think and what the people are actually saying. I I couldn't help but wondering as I was studying this and and thinking about this is, I wonder if in our strife-filled America, what God is actually thinking right now and how that's contrary to what we as Christians are thinking right now. And through Malachi, God actually reveals his thoughts and how they contrast with the thoughts and intentions of the people. So that literally is, is the book. The second reoccurring theme in Malachi is um, the people's sort of half-hearted um, service to God. So you begin to see that when they're talking about um, a, an offering that has been defiled. So under the Mosaic law, so that's just, it's just Moses was a prophet and God gave Moses the law. Um, in the Old Testament, and under that law, you were to take a lamb that was perfect and without defect. And that was symbolic of Christ who would come living in perfection without defect. And you actually had to slaughter that lamb, um, just like Christ went to the cross on, on Golgotha and was slaughtered for our sin. And when that blood of the lamb was shed, it was that blood that cleansed us from our sin and unrighteousness. The, the same as when Christ Jesus went to a cross and he shed that blood, that is the blood that cleanses us from our sin and unrighteousness and actually connects us back with God. So sin becomes this massive gulf between us and God, and it's the shedding of the blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament and the shedding of Jesus' blood in the New Testament that reconnects us with this loving Father. So you you literally... um, 
get this uh, idea that the people are half-hearted in their service to God because they're bringing lambs that are full of defects. In other words, God actually even says in here, um, uh, try taking that to your governor. It's actually in verse 8. Try offering to your governor um, a a lamb that has all these defects. Would he take it? Would he be grateful? And and the answer is is a huge, loud, absolutely not. So God's saying, why then would you bring it to me? So this reoccurring theme through the book is that the people sort of want to half-heartedly serve God. And, and what's amazing is they're probably not engaging in like the blatant or big or ugly disobedience that was happening in some of the major prophets, but it's like this lukewarm disease. It's like this, we don't really care enough to truly follow you and offer you our best to give you everything. It's, it's why when you hear me talk about the gospel, I'm going to talk about surrendering your life to Jesus. That, that is the New Testament equivalent of bringing the best animal. It's, it's I'm going to give the best of myself. My life is here, and I'm actually going to lay it down in total surrender so that you, Christ Jesus, can take up residence in me and live your life in me and through me. That, that is the power of the gospel. So the, the two themes then are um, God speaks and the people resist, contradict, and question. Then secondarily, um, the people's half-hearted or half-devoted service um, and love to God. So <clears throat> I would actually propose to you that many of us in Christian America struggle with these two things, which says to me this book is very pertinent um, to where we are, to where even uh, Christianity is today. And I hope that as we sort of open some of these things, that the Lord will use them to rekindle passion uh, for Him and actually a, an agreement with and, and even hearts that are turned to hear what He's saying and to actually obey. So the first point that I want to bring out here is right away in Malachi 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So uh, Malachi literally means uh, my messenger. There's actually scholars who say maybe this wasn't even a guy. Uh, Maybe this is just God's message. After my study, I think that Malachi was absolutely a person. But but what's different about this than a lot of the prophets is we don't know where he was born. We don't know what kind of family he was from. We don't know any history about him. We don't know how God called him. It's just boom. This is the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And And it jumps right in. So uh, the other thing that I think you can't even understand the Word of God here without thinking uh, or considering is um, most of us in the West, um, I'm going to use a strong word here, but most of us in, in Westernized countries have been brainwashed into some level of individualism. Uh, So in other words, what I mean by that is we regard um, individuals as the most important form of human life, and and we actually fail to look at the collective good of the community or the collective good of the family or the collective good of the church or the nation or the nations. We're we're like this um, sort of rugged individualists in America. We're very proud of that, and we stand tall. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we, we sort of lose the collective strength. And many ways, the way um, a Jewish person would have thought, especially a Jewish person in the Old Testament, would have literally been the the collective word of God. So this is the word of God, not for an individual, um, but for the the Israel people. So this is the word of God for the church. That's the modern application of it. So many times we're always taking the Bible and we're trying to apply it to one. And in truth, the Bible often, there are 
passages and places, consider the book of Timothy. Paul wrote that to one person. But then there are other books, like the book of Acts or the book of Romans, that are written to a whole of the church and probably meant to be circular letters that that went throughout all of the New Testament churches. So I think what we have to be very careful about is as we, um, as Americans, sort of dabble in this rugged individualism, what can happen is um, your needs and your wants and what God is speaking to you or what you get out of a church or a relationship or a thing becomes more important than the collective good. So let's get right to the heart of a possible outflow of this. People in America tend to hop churches, right? We kind of go from place to place. And, you know, some of that is understandable, but I think at some point you have to begin to go, okay, where am I called? Um, and, and then even more importantly, God, uh, where, have you, where have you planted and how do you see the collective larger church? So now I'm not even talking about just one church. I'm talking about the church, like capital C church, like the body of Christ. So that extends way beyond America. That extends around the globe. And if we get into this thing where a church has to sort of serve me and meet my needs, and if it doesn't, I'm going to leave, I think you get into a kind of a dangerous spot. Whereas I think when you can actually look at yourself as part of the larger collection of the body of Christ, how you fit in with the whole, not just a church body of a couple hundred or a couple thousand people, whatever it is, or even a house church. No, no. But how do you, how does that actually fit in with the larger church body? And you begin to see yourself in the context of the whole. It's funny because a lot of times I'll actually call Saltbox. I'll say it's our, a small church or it's our little expression. And some people have said to me, well, you know, why do you say that we're little? And I go, well, I'm thinking of the big C church, like the capital C church, like the body of Christ at large. It extends way beyond America. It extends way beyond any country. It is, that is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. And therefore, we are just a very small little portion and expression of that. No matter how big a church is, it's still just a small little expression of the larger body of Christ. So the word of the Lord literally comes, and it comes to Malachi for Israel, and it's to, so now it would be to the church. Uh, we're, we're the New Testament version of Israel. And then scripture is literally God's sermon. So scripture is God's uh, message. So uh, here, great example. Why do I call us as a body to be in the one-year Bible? Because I actually, more important than hearing a Michael's sermon or another pastor's sermon is actually getting in and hearing God's sermon. Like open the word and read it, digest it, eat it. The, the word is God. This is the life and love and, uh, and message of Jesus. And so the question is, can you get in it so that you can begin to know and interact with God, know him and be known by him, even relationally? Abba, Father, Papa, God, that is how you begin to walk with him. So uh, the first thing that we begin to see front and center here is this is the word of the Lord. And then the second thing that is so powerful that immediately comes to the forefront of this is I have loved you, says the Lord. You know, it's, it's beautiful to me because when Moses um, first gets the law, 
in, in, um, in the early books of the Bible. He, he's actually calling people to obedience um, because of the authority of God, because of the greatness of God, because of the holiness of God, because of the righteousness of God. But right before Moses dies, he actually um, rereads the, the law to the people, and he, it's all framed in a um, God loves you and wants the best for you, and therefore he has instituted these Laws. It's, it's really interesting. You can even see that in the lives of many people who preach the gospel. If you listen to Billy Graham in the early days, you get a, um, a more fiery, you know, repent kind of sermon. And as he grew in age, you get a come to God because of his great love. And what I, what I, I, I absolutely love about this is the entire book begins with, I have loved you, says the Lord. It literally begins with Father God, Papa God, um, Yahweh God, and his love for his people, his pursuit of his people. You get this idea that this is a love that never stops. This is a love that never gives up. This is a love that will chase you down. This is a love that will come get you and come after you and entreat you to come home, not just once or twice or 10 times or even a hundred times. This is is a God who so loves you, a Father who created you and knit you together and will continue to come after you time and time and time again. This is the heart of Christianity. I have loved you. And for whatever reason, so many of us as Christians, either we don't believe God loves us or uh, we, don't, we don't want his love. We actually want to the love of something else. We have other affections in our life. And then if we continue on, so first we have the word of the Lord. The second thing we see here is, I have loved you. And then the third thing that just erupts from this is God literally saying, don't despise me. So at the latter half of verse 6, it says, if you priests who show contempt, or if you priests who despise my, it, it is you priests who despise my name. And, you know, there's, it is amazing to me, but, but when we reject the love of God, that is a form um, of despising him, of rejecting him. And so I, I think what begins to shape up here in Malachi 1 is literally this God who's going, I am bringing to you my word. Um, I am calling you um, uh, to actually hear my word and respond to it. I am calling you out of your half-hearted sort of service and devotion to me. I am calling you to receive my love. Um, and then I am calling you to repent from despising me, to repent from rejecting me. You know, it's fascinating as I do counseling or meet with people, uh, it's easy to see um, error in the church or in people related to sin. Uh, people oftentimes can see sin against themselves. Um, and, and sin just means anything that you're going, it's got to be my way, not your way. It's got to be my will, not your will. That, that's the essence of sin. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will. So sin is anything that exerts your own will over the will and the desire of God. So, <clears throat> but it's easy to see sin against ourselves. It's easy also to see sin against other people. But sin against God is always first and foremost. And oftentimes it's harder to grasp if you've not saturated yourself kind of in your Bible and in relationship to him. So many of us, I'm afraid, probably lack the uh, energy or desire to serve God 
wholeheartedly. It's like there's so many things that distract us right now, whether it's social media or politics or the news or uh, whatever it is. They're, they're often even good things, but they lull us into sort of this blissful days of lackadaisical laziness because they distract us from the centrality of the cross in our own life. And what I'm finding and what I even see in modern church is it's not necessarily that people are running away and worshiping idols, although sometimes we may be. There are different idols in America than there was in the Bible. But probably the greater reality is we're no longer serving God wholeheartedly. We're no longer going to God enthusiastically. We're no longer turning away from evil and embracing him fully. And so I think the question as we, as we bring Malachi 1 even to a close is, is probably this. Are there areas in your life where God is speaking? And if so, are you responding with an open heart or are you responding with a resistant, um, uh, contradicting or questioning attitude? I think the other thing I'd ask you this morning is, are you walking with him in a um, wholehearted, passionate capacity? Or are you walking with him sort of in a half-hearted, halfway sort of lackadaisical days? Is the word of the Lord active in your life? Are you actively engaging your ears, the ears of your heart, the eyes of your heart to see his hand, to listen to his voice? Are you actively looking for his love to grasp his love more fully so that you can even be a part of extending that love to people around you more completely? And then I think the last thing I'd ask is, are there areas where you've despised him? And, you know, any, if you said yes to any of these things, it, it's okay. The journey with Jesus is just that. It, it's a journey. There's things in my life that I recognize, oh, my goodness, I have some um, despising of God here. I've rejected him here, and I actually need to go, Lord, would you forgive me for rejecting you? Or I recognize that I've been half-hearted over here. Lord, would you forgive me for being half-hearted? Or I recognize that I actually believe that you're a bad father, that you're uh, almost nitpicky and evil, and, and, and I actually have rejected your love. So I would actually invite you to begin to see your relationship with God, not as a set of rules that you follow. No, no, it's, as a, it's a relationship that you engage in. And in that relational engagement, you are learning to know him and be known by him. And there's that give and take. And part of that give and take is when you see an area in your life, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you simply take it to the cross and you go, Lord Jesus, would you, would you forgive me? And you go, would you change me? Would you fill me and would you shift me? And I, I loved what Jesus said to Simon Peter because Simon Peter was getting all uppity about how many times he had to forgive his brother. And Jesus goes, 70 times 7. And what that indicates is that's how many times God will forgive us. He's the God who forgives and loves and pursues, and he never gives up on us. He, he never throws us out. He's always going to come after us, and we always have the freedom to accept him or to reject him, just like the people in Malachi's day. But this is a God who loves you passionately and wants to uh, walk with you fully and is not afraid as you take even the journey of recognizing some of the places maybe where you fall short, and you bring that to him and go, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you fill me and would you cleanse me? Pray with me as we close this service. Lord Jesus, I praise you for everyone gathered, everyone listening. 
Lord, I praise you that we can look around and be really bold and courageous and unafraid to even acknowledge where we've fallen short or churches have fallen short or um, even the larger church has fallen short. And then we can actually come to you and say, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you change us? Would you heal us? And would you fill us? In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, if you're out there and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you don't even know God as a God of of love. I have loved you. Maybe in your mind, he's a God of rules. I would invite you to surrender your life to him. And, And that's actually, it's a supernatural transaction, but it's really very simple. It's a prayer. So I'm going to pray it, and you can pray along with me wherever you're sitting, wherever you're standing, but it goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have fallen short. I recognize that you are God. I recognize that you came to earth, that you walked here, and that you went to a cross and died in my place. And not only did you die, but you beat hell and you rose from the dead. You are King Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. And I would ask you to come and live in my heart, to walk with me, teach me to walk with you in relationship. And I pray that you show me your great love. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, there's a number on your screen, there's also an email, but get in touch with us. We'd love to get a Bible in your hand. We'd love to help you get connected to a great church. We'd love to even talk to you about praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'd love to get you to a place where you could be baptized with water. But this is a God that loves you, and you can see it for all through the Old Testament and all into the New. We'll be here again next week at 10 a.m. And I pray that as you go from here, you would sense his gracious hand on you and that his face might shine brightly upon you and that you would know his love.